listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I want you to look with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, the Lord's been really dealing with me about this, showing me some things with this. Um, what I consider to be the most powerful Christian revelation that there is. No more powerful Christian revelation than this. Uh, as you study the Bible, and um, I've been studying the Bible for over 25 years, and um, read the New Testament through multiple times. Carolyn's enjoying the fact that I have uh, a bunch of items on the table. But see, when you're sponsored by Essentia and you're sponsored by Yeti, they want you to show those products as you're broadcasting. Uh, <laughs> so don't hate because these sponsors of our ministry are very important. Um, as, I've, as I've been studying the Bible for over 25 years, I've read the New Testament through many times. In fact, let me encourage you with this thought uh, before we say anything else. Uh, I get a lot of I get a lot of people ask me um, on direct message, you know, on social, you know, how, how do you go through the Bible? How do you read the Bible? What does your Bible reading look like? Uh, which is one of the reasons that we launched Bible Study Made Simple. And uh, if you didn't even know, we launched that. We, t- we launched a whole Bible study course on how to properly study the Bible, the principles that you're supposed to use, how to understand and interpret the scripture. And uh, if you didn't know anything about that, by the way, you can go check it out at bible.miracleword.com. And uh, we're taking signups already for the fall registration that will open then. But we're in the midst of it right now with uh, all 300 and I think 340 some students that signed up to be a part of Bible Study Made Simple for the spring. And uh, we'd love to have you as a part of it. But if you, I get that question a lot, you know, how do you read the Bible? How do you study the scripture? And I think one of the uh, things that is, is, needs to be said more often is rather than trying to find some deep way to study the scripture, what we need to understand is the most important thing is consistency and faithfulness. Consistency and faithfulness. So that means have a plan and stick to it every single day. Have a plan and stick to it every single day. And I've given people... Um, one of the plans we use that allows you to read the New Testament every single month. It's only nine chapters a day. It'll take you less time than watching a show on Netflix. And uh, you'll read the New Testament every month of the year. It'll stir your spirit up. Well, as you go through the Bible, you'll find all different types of revelation. You'll find revelation on God's healing power, his delivering power, his provision. You'll see revelation on deliverance, all kinds of things the power of the blood of Jesus, your salvation. But what I want to show you today is what I would consider to be the most powerful revelation that there is in all of the New Testament. Love you too, Janine. And and you need to get this in your spirit because once you get a hold of this, you know, we talk about the victory tribe. We talk about living in constant victory, which is God's plan for his children. We're not called to struggle. We're not called to go from issue to issue, problem to problem. We're called to walk in never-ending victory throughout our lives. And um, 
when you get a hold of this revelation, it takes you to that place of never-ending victory. This is a mindset, a revelation that every Christian needs to have and walk in on a daily basis to see that kind of victory. And um, I want to read to you from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And I'm in the first chapter, Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, I want to start reading with you in Ephesians 1.15. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter. And uh, we may even reference a few other verses from the next chapter. But listen to this now, Ephesians 1.15. The Bible says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, now here we go, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This is where it starts to get mind-blowing for the average person. It's like, is this really possible? Seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Get this, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, hallelujah, under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Now get this part, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. So you talk about victory. I want, to tell, I want to tell you something about this today. When you catch this revelation, it is the most powerful revelation you can catch as a Christian, as a believer. Are you ready for this now? Notice what God did. God raised Jesus from the dead, but he didn't stop there. The Bible says he ascended into heaven. And you know that he spent, after his resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days on the earth with his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And then 10 days later, the day of Pentecost hit the church and the Holy Ghost was poured out on the believer. But notice this, after the 40 days were completed, he was blessing his disciples in Bethany. And all of a sudden, he starts to ascend up into heaven. The Bible says his disciples watched him go up until the, he was up in the clouds. And then an angel had to actually come and speak to him and said, why do you stand here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus that you saw go is coming back again in like manner. So the angel saying the same way he left is the same way he's coming back. 
And so Jesus ascended into heaven. Well, then what happened when he got there? The Bible says that he was seated at the right hand of the Father. So get that in your spirit. He was seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. So first of all, if, you're, if you don't know about this, uh, the, the position of being seated is a position of authority. It's a position of authority. So he's sitting in authority at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And notice where God placed him. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Get this in your heart. Hallelujah. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but the one that's to come. And put all things under his feet. Now, tie all this together so you get this, what, what Paul's writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Tie it all together. And put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. Hallelujah. Which is his body. So, so understand now, this is uh, the Holy Spirit saying Christ is the head. But the church is the body. Christ is the head, but the church is the body. Now, I want you to put that in the comments. Christ is the head, but the church is the body. Because once we break this down, you start to realize where you're at today. It'll change everything. It will change everything. Christ is the head. The church is the body. Glory to God. Christ is the head, the church is the body. So notice this, he was placed far above all principality and power, rule of dominion, every name that's named, not only in this age, but that which is to come, and put all things, glory to God, get that in your spirit, all things, that's inclusive, all things. That means every demon. It means all sickness. It means all depression. It means all anxiety. It means all poverty and lack. It means all broken relationship. All things, all things were placed under his feet. He's far above them, the Bible says, far above them. Then you go on to see this, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Glory to God. So, Here's the thing that'll stir your spirit. You start to realize the Bible does not say that God placed all things under his head. It said he placed all things under his feet. <laughs> Hallelujah. All things under his feet. And when you recognize that, if Christ is the head and the church is the body, then it doesn't matter what part of the body you are You've been raised and seated. So let me go with you now uh, to the second chapter of Ephesians to give you a couple verses. Verses five and six. Notice this. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, that's Ephesians 2, 5. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Verse six, and raised us 
up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Woo, glory to God. Glory to God. With Christ Jesus. And so I want you to see it. The moment he did that, remember, I'm not the head of the church. You're not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. But we are his body. Hallelujah. We are his body. I was preaching not long ago, and I was talking to the church about the fact that, uh, you know, we place a lot of emphasis on telling people that have been saved that you're, you know, a part of the family of God. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family. You know, we talk a lot about welcoming people to the family, but the real revelation that really changes your life is that you're not just a part of the family. You are a part of the body. That's a whole nother revelation. Because let me tell you, once you recognize I'm not just in the family, I am a part or a member of his body. It's a whole nother level. Because remember this, that once you come into the kingdom of God, once you get saved, once you become a Christian, you have now been attached to Christ. You are in Christ. What he is, you are. See that? As he is, so are we in this world. You recognize, I am in Christ. I am part of the body. I've been grafted in. I'm not separate from Christ. I'm connected to Christ. I am part of the body of Christ. And this right here will, will change your whole understanding of what Christianity is. I'm not just a part of the family. I am in his body. And if I'm in his body, then now that, that, that whole revelation kicks off in your spirit to recognize, hold on a second. I'm not down here on the earth begging for God to help me. I'm not down here being harassed by the devil as a victim. And I just need God. Oh, I need you to send help, Lord. No, you recognize everything has changed after salvation. We were dead in trespasses and in sins, but he raised us up together and made us sit with Christ, glory to God, in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. So now, notice where Christ is, far above all, far above all, principality and power and dominion, every name that's named, far above all. And notice this, put all things under where? His feet. That should stir you up to know you're, it's not just under his head. See, because you hear some Christians talk, you hear some preachers preach, you know, Jesus is over everything. Jesus is more powerful. But recognize this, that's the whole reason he put you into his body so that it wouldn't just be him that had authority and power over all things. It wouldn't just be him that was far above all. But now that you've been added into the body of Christ, now I don't care what part of the body you are. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. You might be the hands or the arms or the shoulders. You might be the, the legs or the knees. Doesn't matter. But here's the key. Even if you are the sole of the foot, get that. Even if I'm the sole of the foot, the Bible says he placed him far above all and placed all things under his 
feet. Glory to God. All things. So even if I'm the sole of Christ's foot, I am still far above all principalities and powers, far above every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come. I feel the Holy Ghost on that today. You have victory because of where he placed you and how he attached you. Glory to God. Woo! That'll make you shout. That'll make you shout at work in your cubicle and scare the people next to you because you start to realize I am not barely getting by. I am not a victim. I am not prey of the devil where he's just continually hunting me down. Once you get this, you start to recognize, no, no, I am actually the one hunting the devil. I'm actually the one that's hunting demons and destroying principalities and powers. Because of the fact, since I'm added to his body, then I become Christ on the earth. That's the whole point. I become Christ on the earth. People have such a hard time with that, act like that's a blasphemous phrase to utter, that you're Christ on the earth. How can you be a part of his body and not be him in identity? Makes no sense. That's why I always joke with people when I go preach at a church for the first time. And I tell people, listen, when I came to your church and I introduced myself to you, I didn't say, hi, it's nice to be here with you. Uh, my head is Ted. My arms are Richard and Derek. You know, my, my legs are Bob and Tim. It doesn't work that way. My body, the members of my body do not have separate identities. My body, all of it is me. My hands are Ted. My legs are Ted, my arms are Ted, my chest is Ted, the organs of my body, everything is Ted. And people want to understand that biologically and anatomically, but they won't recognize it spiritually, that he made you a part of his body. You're not separated in identity. You are what he is. Glory to God. I am what he is. That would be a great thing for you to put in the comments today. I am what he is. I am what he is. Glory to God. I am what he is. As he is, so are we in this world. Glory to God. As he is, so are we in this world. Hallelujah. That's 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. You start to recognize that you go to verse four, talking about spirits of antichrist. Well, let me tell you something. Spirits of antichrist are at work in the world right now. They're at work in the world and have been since the time of Christ. And John uh, lets us know that in this letter. He said um, uh, in verse, let's read verse 3, 1 John 4, 3. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So all the way back at the time of writing 
in the first century, the spirit of Antichrist was already in the world and was already at work. So it's not, it's not something that's going to come. It's been at work. But notice the power of that, that when we read what he said in the very next verse, yeah, even though it's in the world already, however, little children, you are from God. Hmm. And have overcome them. What? Spirits of Antichrist. For he who is in you is greater, glory to God, than he who is in this world. He's referring to the Antichrist spirit. What's in you is greater than what's in this world, Antichrist spirit. And you're full of power. Why? Because he raised you up and seated you in heavenly places far you're not just slightly, it's not even on the same level. You're not slightly higher than antichrist spirits and sickness and disease and every attack of the devil. You're far above. For all things have been placed under his feet. I don't care if you feel like you're the least part of the kingdom of God, which the devil tries to make people feel like, that they're the least in the kingdom. I don't care if you feel like you're the least in the kingdom. You are still far above all principality and power, every ruler, all dominion, and every name that is named. Hallelujah. Woo! That's so true, Liz. Liz Liz Mendez said, if people would get this, there would be less confusion about their identity. That's it. That's exactly it. And many Christians, sadly, are struggling with an identity issue because they've never truly been taught who they are in Christ. How many Christians do you know that are still running around and saying, well, how many know, brother, we're just sinners saved by grace? That's not what the Bible says. We're not sinners saved by grace. Sinners are saved by grace, but who we are is new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. And all things have become new. You know, let, let, me, let me help with something that I know will help you. There's a difference between position and action. In fact, to make this point, I want you to put it in the comments. Position versus action. Position versus action. I want to break this down. I want to break this down because it will help you for the rest of your life. Position versus action. And those people that are always going around, how many know we're just sinners saved by grace? No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are new creations, that the old life is gone, gone, dead. And behold, all things have become new. And so, People are confusing position and action. And I'm going to break that down for you here because it's important when, we get, when we're getting this revelation of who we are in Christ. And see, if the devil can get you to believe that you're something different, something lesser than what Christ has made you to be, then it will change your mindset and your expectation. Oh, man, get this. Please get this today. Position versus action. So what, what does that mean? Well, when people are always going around saying, well, we're just sinners saved by grace, brother, then what they're doing, sadly, is that they're changing their position. 
that Christ gave them and reverting back to the old identity. I would never in a million years categorize myself as a sinner. Not now. I would never categorize myself as a sinner. People think it sounds humble. It's false humility. It's contradictory to the word of God. I don't contradict God's word. It doesn't call me a sinner. In fact, let me, let me just, do, let's, do a, let's do a test, okay? Let's do a little test. Let's do a test. Let's look at the letters of Paul real quick. We're going to just quickly do this. I, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever done this before. Let's look at Paul in each letter to the church and see how he greets the churches. Let's see about his introductory greeting to the churches. You ready for this? Romans. Romans. Romans 1.7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. That's who the letter's to. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Say anything, doesn't say anything about sinners. Calls them saints, calls them loved by God. That's Romans. All right, let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, Paul, he writes, um, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all those together who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the next letter. Doesn't call them sinners, saved by grace. He writes to them, says to the saints, to the ones, the church of God called by God. All right, 2 Corinthians. To the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. So again, not sinners, goes to saints. What does he go after 2 Corinthians? Writes to the Galatians. Now, the Galatians are the ones having problems. They're the ones that are in the middle of apostasy. But he still says to the churches of Galatia, grace and peace to you, God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, gave himself for our sins, delivers from the present age. So he still refers to them as the church. Ephesians, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful to Christ Jesus. Again, nothing about sinners. Philippians, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Colossians, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So you start to recognize the fact Paul doesn't look at that and say, well, you know, you're just sinners saved by grace, brother. You got to keep yourself humble. No, he refers to all of them as saints, refers to all of them as the elect, refers to all of them as those that are called in Christ Jesus, that are faithful to God. It's a whole different identity. It's not sinners saved by grace. Paul doesn't talk to them like that. Paul's not dealing with the churches like that. Even you get into Peter's letters. You get into James. They're not talking to Christians like that. Well, we're, how many know we're just sinners? No, it's a different position. And the, the transition of that position is Ephesians 2 that I read. The Bible says, even when we were dead, I'm not dead now. I was dead in trespasses and in sins, but I'm not that way now. I'm not dead. I'm not sitting here teaching you dead in trespasses and in sins. You're not sitting there listening to me dead in trespasses and in sins. Listen, you're either dead or you're alive and there's no two, there's no in between of that. You're either dead in trespasses and sins or you're alive in Christ. 
And for anybody that wants to go around claiming that they're just a sinner saved by grace, what are you trying to say, that you're dead and on your way to hell? Or are you alive and on your way to heaven? And so the problem is, is that they mix up. That's right, Aaron. She said, a baby saint is still a saint. That's right. I don't care if you're a baby Christian. I don't care if you got saved three minutes ago. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I don't care how long you've been saved. And so get this now. There's a difference between position and action. So what is our, let's talk about position first. What is our position? Well, your position changed at salvation. As I just described, you went from being dead in trespasses and in sins, and your position changed. Christ took you into new life, and now you were raised when Christ was raised. And now instead of being dead, you got that same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead. It raised you from the dead, and you're now alive in Christ, and you're a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. So what? Our new position is alive in Christ. I am alive in Christ. I'm not dead. I'm not a sinner. I am a new creature. Hallelujah. I'm not a sinner. I'm a new creature. That needs to be in the front of your mind. Don't think that's some small thing. Your position is everything. Let, let, me, let me take you real quickly to 2 Corinthians 5, where we were quoting, if any man be in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, and let's go down to verses 20 and 21. Because it's a life-changing revelation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that's who we are. We are the righteousness of God. Oh, hallelujah. I want you to put that in the comments and let it change your life forever. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am. I'm not going to be in heaven. I'm not going to be at the time of the rapture when my body is glorified. Right now, in this present moment, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. I am. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's a life change right there. That's a position change. A position change. Now, watch this. If you're a sinner and you sin, you are acting in accordance to your nature. In fact, sinners can only sin. Sinners are not righteous. So sinners can only sin. So if a sinner sins, look, his position, dead in trespasses and sins. His action, sin. That's all he can do is sin. And when he does sin, He's acting in alignment with his nature and his position. Okay, but flip it. Christians, if I'm alive in Christ, it does, and I want to make this point very clear, it does not mean 
that you can't sin. Get this. It's position versus action. Being a Christian does not mean it is now impossible to commit a sin. Christians can commit a sin. They could disobey God's word. But what you need to see is when a Christian commits a sin, they are acting in direct contradiction to their position. When sinners sin, it's in line with their position. If a Christian sins, it is in contradiction or opposition to their position. Because notice, and I'm not talking about your flesh, because I don't care how long you're saved, your flesh will always be tempted to sin, always. Your flesh has not yet been glorified. It will be one day, but it has not been yet. Your mind has to be renewed. And that's something that we have to do, renew our minds. But your spirit man, hallelujah, get this, your spirit man is renewed day by day by the Lord. Hallelujah. Your spirit man is renewed every single day by the power of God. So you don't have to renew your spirit. God does it for you every day. So when you sin, you're acting in opposition to your spirit man. So watch this now. We're talking about position versus action. It's not my nature to sin. I'm a Christian. And so when I do, now let me give you this, because there's, a, there's been a lot of wacky stuff that's been taught because people can't put these things together properly. There's two thoughts. There's the one I already covered. Well, even though we're saved, brother, we're just sinners, brother. We're just sinners saved by grace, and we just go on sinning. We just keep on sinning even though Christ has saved us. There's people that think like that. You'll never stop sinning, brother, until Jesus comes. And they don't believe you can have power over, over sin. They don't believe that you can have power over sinful actions. They believe you've got no power to stop it. You know, we're just human, brother. We just sin and sin, and we just sinners saved by grace. And they don't believe that you can have power over sin. When Paul clearly taught the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 6, sin will no longer have dominion over you. Listen to, uh, let me read you Romans chapter 6, verses, uh, verse 12. Let's do that. And 13 and 14. Romans 6, 12 through 14. Listen, let sin, therefore, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So right there in one verse, Paul let you know, you don't have to allow sin to reign in your body and make you obey it. Not, not now that you're saved. Verse 13, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And verse 14, for sin will not have dominion over you since you're not under the law, but under grace. And so sin won't have dominion. You've got power over sin. Do you know there were even, as a picture of this, there were people that Jesus, even before his crucifixion, death and resurrection, he gave them power over sin. 
Jesus would not, it would have been unjust for Jesus to command someone to do something that was impossible. And then telling, giving them a warning that if they didn't do it, something worse would come upon them. That's unjust. How can you warn me not to do something I can't do and then tell me if I don't do it, something worse is going to come upon me? What did Jesus tell the man with the mat after he picked up his mat to go home? He said, go your way and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. He just empowered that man to live a life free from sin, even before his resurrection. Go and sin no more. Jesus wouldn't have said it if it was impossible. Paul wouldn't have taught it if it was impossible. Christians have dominion over sin. And I want you to, I want you to put this in the comments. I have dominion over sin. Why? Because of where you're seated. Because of your position. Because of your nature. Because of who you've been connected to. You have dominion over sin. I can't take people teaching and preaching. Well, you know, brother, we just can't stop sinning until Jesus comes. We'll never stop sinning. We're just sinners. That's who we are. That's not who we are. That is not who we are. We're new creations. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We're attached to his body. We're seated in heavenly places. It's position versus action. I have dominion over sin. No question about it. I have dominion over sin. So then let's, let's go to the other side of the coin, right? You got the people that say, well, we never stop sinning, brother. We're just sinners saved by grace. We'll always be these lowly little, uh, that's how they think. Then you've got the other side. When you talk about this hyper grace message that's being taught that says that Christians, though they can sin, their sins no longer matter. Their sins don't matter because it's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus did. And so there's this whole teaching that's been going around that your sins don't matter and that Christians don't even need to repent if they do commit a sin. And that is something that's being taught to believers right now. So if you go to 1 John chapter 1 and read verse 9, that if we commit sin, he's faithful and just. We can, you know, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not written to Christians, brother. He doesn't start talking to Christians until the second chapter, which is foolishness. It's total foolishness. And they act like Christians don't need to repent if they commit a sin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just because you're in covenant with God doesn't mean you have to stop uh, repenting if you've done something wrong. Can you imagine being married to your husband, your wife, and you did something that was really wrong that really violated your covenant with them, but you didn't say, well, I don't need to say sorry because we're in covenant together. I don't need to apologize to you. I mean, we're already married. We're already in covenant. You can act like that if you want to, but the marriage won't end up lasting. The covenant will be broken because you broke it, not because they broke it. Because you broke it with trespasses. And that's the key. Just because I'm married to Christ doesn't mean that I'm going to say, well, if I made a mistake, you know, it doesn't really matter, does it, Jesus? Because we're already connected together. No, it matters. And that's why repentance is necessary. Even if you're already born again, if you do something that's contradictory to the word of God, then repentance is necessary. Why? I love the Lord. And I want to be in right standing with God. And I want to stay in right standing with God. So for all of these heretics that are preaching that your sins don't even matter, I can't even tell you how destructive I've seen that 
become to the church, to Christians individually. Every pastor that I've ever come in contact with, every single one that has ever told me there's members of my congregation that have gotten involved in that hyper grace doctrine, it has never ended up with them being more faithful to church, you know, more, more of a soul winner, more of, more of a diligent, faithful volunteer. It's always, they dropped out of church, they don't attend anymore. They told me that they're, you know, because they're under grace, they don't, they know that's works, brother. We don't have to do, go to church or read the Bible or, you know, tithe or give or, you know, that's all works. We're saved by grace. They don't even understand the Bible. And I've seen it cause people to fall away, not get more on fire for God. You can see the fruit of a doctrine at work in someone's life and know if it's from God or not. If what someone's teaching you causes you to get farther away from God rather than closer to God, it is not of God. It's not of God. And so you've got both sides of the spectrum. And then you get to these people that believe all this about sin. Well, it doesn't matter for a Christian. They don't even believe it's possible to lose your salvation, to walk away from your salvation. When the Bible clearly prophesies apostasy in the last days. How could Paul prophesy that in the last days, the hearts of many will grow cold and many will fall away from the faith? You can't fall away from a faith you've never been a part of. There's no such thing as apostasy if you can't lose your covenant. And it's not because God broke the covenant and it's not because he walked away. It's because people walk away. You see. So how can there even be prophecies that will come to pass of apostasy if it's impossible to lose your salvation? How can you, let me just ask you a question. Look, look at this, and, and we're going to pray in just a moment, but look at John 15. Look at John 15. Explain this. Somebody explain this to me. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. If that's, if that's truly what the word of God teaches... Let me, let me see, let me see something here. First, this is John chapter 15, gospel of John. The Bible says, and I'll start with verse one. I, Jesus is speaking. I am the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it bear, may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered or thrown into the fire and burned. And burned. So who are these people Jesus is talking about then that are already in him? I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you're connected to me, but refuse to produce fruit, my father comes as the vine dresser, cuts you off, pulls you out of me and throws you into a pile to be burned. Who are those people then? If it's impossible to lose or change your position based upon your faithfulness, your obedience, then who are those people? Who is Paul prophesying about in the last days? And don't tell me that they were never truly saved in the first place. It was a false conversion. If that's the case, there's never been a sinner that's in Christ. 
There's never been a sinner that is in Christ. So Jesus is saying here, you're in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You're connected to me. And God's watching to make sure you produce fruit as you are connected to me because apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you refuse to produce fruit, he'll separate you from me and throw you in a pile to be burned. Well, that's, that, is, that can be nothing else than people that are in covenant with Christ. In co- and remember something, there is no old covenant uh, man or woman that was in covenant with Christ. They were in covenant with God, but not with Christ. That's a New Testament covenant. There are no Christians connect, that, that uh, there are no sinners that are connected to Christ. So this, this false do- doctrine, either that first that we're just sinners, even though we're saved, we're sinners, or we're saved and we don't need to repent of sin, we can't sin, none of that matters, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. Both are wrong. Both are wrong. See, because the key becomes... God's looking for faithful servants in the last days. But it all comes from this understanding of who you are. So notice, can a Christian commit a sin? Absolutely. Let me me say this. If Christians couldn't commit sin, or if Christians committing sins didn't matter, then why would Paul spend so much time writing letters to churches and encouraging them, don't go back into living in sin? Stay free from sin. If Paul wrote all those letters, he was wasting his time. If people's sin didn't matter once they got saved, or if it didn't change your position as you were saved, or if God didn't care after you were saved, Paul wasted a whole lot of parchment writing to churches and telling them to stay free from sin. But no, it is possible to sin as a Christian, and it's possible to get to the place where you get into unrepentant sin and then turn your back on God and walk away, and that is apostasy. So you start to understand, it is important to understand who you are in Christ. It changes the whole dynamic, changes the whole dynamic. And let me show you one of the main reasons before we pray, because it deals with prayer. Hebrews chapter 4. Go with me to Hebrews chapter four. Knowing who you are in Christ changes everything about who, how you interact with God himself, how you interact with Christ. See, because if you allow yourself to believe I'm just this sinner saved by grace, I'm just a dirty, filthy, you know, all this stuff that they try to get you to believe, it changes how you feel about yourself in the presence of God. You start to always feel ashamed. You always feel guilt. You all, that's how you always, you live your life that way. There's people watching me that you've been feeling that way. It's just always guilt, always shame. All, I'm just a sinner. That is not what the Bible teaches. And then it affects how you can literally come to God, come to Christ, operate in the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you. Uh, Hebrews chapter four, let us, let's start with verse 14 and I'll read through 16. Hebrews four, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet 
without sin. Now look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So notice what happens when you don't recognize your position. When you don't have a mindset about who you are in Christ, you are unable to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. You're unable with confidence. The Lord wants you to draw near with confidence, but one of the things that happens with shame and guilt and all of that stuff, because you're unaware of who you truly are, and you view yourself, I'm just a dirty old worm, I'm just, a, I'm nothing. No, don't contradict who Christ called you and who he made you to be. You're a new creature. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Not because of what you did, but because of what he gave you and made you. You ought to wake up every morning and declare, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. You wake up and declare it. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the right, and it just, it sets that mindset for the day. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Don't let the devil lie you out of it. Don't let the devil keep you out of it. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And so you have a mindset of who you're called to be, and now you recognize, I'm not who I was, I'm someone new. And now when I approach God, I approach him not, listen to me, not just as his child, not just as a part of the family, but now I approach him as a part of Christ's body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am approaching God as a part of Christ's body, which makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the change in the world. As I come to pray, as I stand before him, I approach him as Christ's body. I am in covenant with him. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. I am seated in, in heavenly places, far above all principality and power, every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come. He raised me to new life and it changed everything about my identity. Hallelujah. Changed everything about my authority, my purpose, my power, because Christ is in me and he's the hope of glory. I am a part of his body. Glory to God. And so I'm going to pray for you today because one of the things we have, and I know there's people, I get messages from you. I understand people struggle with this thought process. That's why I'm teaching it today. It's the most powerful revelation we could ever receive, ever the revelation of who we are in Christ, how we're seated far above all principality, power, dominion, every name that is named. Everything, and I want you to put this last thing in the comments, everything is under my feet. Glory to God. Everything is under my feet. Everything is under my feet. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, Liz. Put it in the comments. Everything is under my feet. Father, we come to you today in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for making us the righteousness that you gave us, not because of what we did, because of what Christ did that we received by faith. 
We thank you that we are new creations. We thank you the old life is gone, a new life has begun. And today we boldly approach the throne of grace. We boldly approach with expectation to receive what it is that we ask you for today. And so, Lord, we ask you today to fill us with a fresh boldness and a new understanding, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Let us see what we've never seen. Let us understand what we've never understood and empower us in a fresh measure. Give us a fresh fire, refilling of the Holy Ghost to accomplish our purpose. We thank you, Lord. This is our year of divine possession, ownership. We'll have what we've never had. We'll go where we've never gone. We'll do what we've never done in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for that. We give you praise today. Lord, I take authority over every deceptive, lying spirit that tries to tell God's people that they are something else other than what you've created them to be. And I command that to cease and desist in Jesus' name. And from this day forward, we thank you that the spirit of truth, we, our ears will be open. We will hear the spirit of truth in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for it. Now, Lord, open doors for your people. Give us opportunities we've never had. Take us where we've never gone. Give us what we've never held in Jesus' mighty name. Use us for your glory and your kingdom. And we thank you. We give you honor, glory, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to encourage you on this Friday to sow a seed by faith. You know, we have testimonies that just keep coming in on uh, Wednesday night. I don't know if you watched the service in uh, Crawfordsville, Indiana, but on Wednesday night, a man that had been suffering with back pain, hip pain, and uh, misalignment for years. I believe he was in his 70s, possibly his late 70s. Power of God hit him. The anointing came upon him, and his back was instantly healed. He began to move. He started bending. I mean, he's bending. I can't even do what he was doing, and I'm 39. And he was bending and moving. God healed him instantly. It's been miracle after miracle after miracle. And I know there are those of you that are believing for miracles. And I told you I'd pray for you for those miracles at the end of this broadcast, and I'm going to. So I want to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, now for those that wrote in that have prayer requests for healing, I pray that same anointing that you released in the church as people were being healed, send it to them right now. Touch them. Healing virtue flow through their body. Heal them by your power today and take all the glory and take all the praise. You're the only one that can bring healing. You're the great physician. And so, Lord, we ask you today, turn it around supernaturally, and we give you praise for it, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to sow a seed today, you can go to miracleword.com, and you can sow your seed there. All the digital ways to give are available. You know what to do. But let me just give this challenge on a Friday. If you have not partnered with this ministry, what are you waiting for? Now is the time to join with us, to join with a group of like-minded believers that are on fire. We call ourselves the Victory Tribe. Why is that? Because we all come from Jesus, and Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. That's the tribe of praise. That's the tribe of victory. That's the tribe that was sent first into battle. That's who we are because we come from Christ. We are the tribe of victory. Join yourself to a group of like-minded people that have made up their minds, we're going to see revival hit America and the world before Christ comes back. We will not miss 
what God is doing in these final moments of time. We're going to be right in the middle of it in Jesus' mighty name. And then connect your finances with something that matters. The gospel matters. Christ is coming soon, and people are not ready to see him. That's what we're doing together. We're reaching the lost by the power of Jesus Christ. And so I want to challenge you. Go to miracleword.com, click on the partner page, and fill out the form and join us in partnership. For all that are standing with us in the month of May, we want to send you a few things just to say thank you. And for everybody that's sowing $1,000 or more this month, we're going to be sending you three things to say thank you. Number one is Dr. Rodney Howard Brown's book, The Gifts of the Holy Spirit. Number two, Brother Hagin's book, The Triumphant Church. And number three is going to be the Net Study Bible, Full Notes Edition, which contains 60,000 translator's notes. It's my new favorite Bible by far. I love all of this that went into making this because it gives you so much understanding of what was going on in the original manuscripts. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. I can't even believe it's a real thing. But we're going to send that to you to say thank you. And of course, those that are partnering with us at $250 or more this month, we're going to send you those two books by Dr. Rodney Howard Brown and Brother Kenneth Hagin just to say we love you and to say thank you. I'm headed tomorrow to Bardstown, Kentucky. We're starting Sunday morning, and then we'll be there through Wednesday night. We would love, we would love to see you in person at these revivals. We go on to Johnson City, Tennessee for the tent meeting. It's going to be awesome. I cannot wait. I love you so much. Have a powerful weekend. Hope you're in a powerful church somewhere and not watching online because your church still has their doors closed. Get into a powerful church. I love you, and I'll see you again next week. God bless you. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.